Good morning. I'm going to read for you from 2 Chronicles. The first verse will be from Chronicles 7, 14. The second will be from Chronicles 16 and 9. And my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. 16.9 For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. You have acted foolishly in this. Indeed, from now on, you will surely have wars. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading and the hearing of his holy word. So join me in prayer. Father, thank you for allowing us to come here and worship you. For allowing us to come here as one body, just one church, God, and praise you and talk to you and hear from you to hear your word spoken over us, God. I just pray that as we listen to your scriptures be taught, that we be not just hearers of the word, but doers too, God. As we hear a word about prayer, that you would make us a praying people. Um, that, Lord, that we wouldn't move without prayer. We wouldn't move without your presence. Um, that we know deep down that prayer is the real work and ministry is the reward of that prayer. So, Father, move in us. Holy Spirit, illumine the scriptures to us through David as they're taught. Prepare our hearts for it um, and move us as we hear. We love you so much. It's your name we pray, Lord. Amen. Good morning. Well, if you know me, you know that I am a big fan of John Brown. He is my older brother. Uh, back in the day when we were kids, you know, he's a little bit more of the thinker, the strategist. I was a little bit more of the emotion and the action. And so it worked out really well with Lincoln Logs and Army Men because he would create the battlefield and then his job was done and, and my job was to go to battle, right? And I got to have fun destroying what he'd built. But there's one thing that, that John just, he just couldn't curb early enough, and that is he raised a Green Bay Packers fan. That if you know Michael, Michael grew up in Dallas Cowboys country, and he is a Packers fan. And so if you're wondering why John's not up here this morning, John is in Green Bay, Wisconsin. And God made provision for them to have tickets, and John being a good daddy, he made way for them to uh, go up and see the Packers play the Vikings today. And so at noon, if you're wondering what our pastor is doing, he's probably got a big block of cheese, a cheese hat <laughs> on his head, and, and he's being a good daddy. And that's exactly what he should be. But it's, it's my pleasure to get to be with you this morning. You know, when John asked me to, uh, to preach, and he really kind of gave me some latitude on what I would preach on, and I really, there's something that I have been spending a lot of time reflecting on, that God's been doing something in my heart, and it really has to do with prayer. And it has to do with just the question of, it, how healthy is my prayer life? And I don't know if you're like me, but that question is not answered with a simply binary, it's healthy or unhealthy. 
because I think about it, I pray about certain things a lot and passionately. And I don't pray about some things very much, nor passionately. And so what is, what is the distinction? Why, why is that in my heart? And so I've spent a lot of time just kind of reflecting and asking God, what is it that has me impassioned for certain areas of prayer and dispassionate in others? And that led to really studying Scripture on why do we pray? What does Scripture say on why we are to pray? So that's really going to be our journey this morning is we're first going to look at what, is, what does the Bible have to say about why we're to pray? And then I'm at least going to share with you the journey that I've been on on some areas or some, some reasons why maybe there, I don't pray as I should. And so as we get started this morning, would you just join me in prayer? So Father God, we, uh, uh, we love you. And Father, come before you this morning and just asking that you would be glorified and honored. Father, as we study prayer, at the end of the day, Father, probably none of us pray as we should. And so, Father, this morning I would ask that you would impassion us around the commands you've given to pray. Father, I pray you would also give us insight into our own hearts on why we don't pray as we should, that we would bring that to you, uh, Father, that you would fix those things. And, Father, you would make us a prayerful people. Father, that's our prayer this morning, and would you and you alone be glorified. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first thing we're going to look at is why do we pray? And there's really three reasons we're going to look at biblically. Number one, simply stated, God commands it. It's very, very hard to read Scripture and think that we're not commanded to pray. And, and I could have pulled up 100 verses today, and I, and I only pulled up 8 or 10, but we are simply commanded to pray. God has chosen to work through prayer. And then finally, prayer is evidence that our hearts are His, that, that something goes on in prayer in the way that we see Him and ourselves that gives evidence that we are God's and He is ours. So that's what we're going to do this morning, and we're going to first look at why pray and the fact that God commands it. Let's look at the first verse. 1 John 5, 2 and 3 says, By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and observe His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. That one of the deepest, the deepest ways that we can show our affections and our worship for God is to obey Him, right? And I think if you're a parent, you understand that in your heart because if you think about when your kids are young, what do we do a lot of times to try to teach our children the value of obedience, right? When they're young, a lot of times we simply create rewards when they do right. We create consequences or loss of privileges when they do wrong. And ultimately, that kind of guides their behavior is some semblance of a carrot and a stick. But as our children get older, that's not at all where we want their hearts to remain. Amen? That at the end of the day, as they grow older, we want their hearts to begin to say, I love my parents. I respect my parents. I love my God, I want to honor my God, and thus I'm going to make right decisions. And it's no longer about what they're going to receive or what they're going to lose, but it's about simply doing it for the right reasons, for the affections of the heart. And that's what this verse is saying, is that we're commanded to do things in the Bible, and part of our greatest act of affection and worship of God is to obey those things. 
But what does God's Word actually say about prayer? By the way, if you notice, John always takes a last sip of water down there and he doesn't bring water up here. I don't know how he does that. I get caught in mouth three minutes in every time. So thank you for being gracious with me. Okay. So first we want to look at some verses. God's word clearly commands us to pray. Look at this. Colossians 4 to devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Romans 12, 2 says, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 says, pray without ceasing. Now, when you look at that actual Greek term devoted, it really means to be steadfastly attentive to or to persevere and to not faint, but to continue on in this effort. So the first thing we see is not only does God's word command us to pray, but it tells us to pray fervently, persistently, passionately, devotedly, right? That it's not just prayer, that there's something about the, the, the zeal in which we pray. And that zeal is not supposed to wane. That zeal is supposed to continue in our hearts. Looking at other verses, Philippians 4, 6. By the way, do we have any worriers in the room? Any who struggle with fear? I've shared before from the pulpit that, that one of the things that I can often struggle with is fear of failure. That I can, I can begin to get this fear of failure of, man, am I going to do a good job? Am I going to be faithful? How are my kids going to turn out? How is work going to do? Are we going to hit the numbers? I mean, all those things. And next thing you know, that fear can just get to working in my heart. And so what has God commanded us to do to that worry? Or to that fear. And we see verses here. Philippians 4, 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. 1 Peter 5, 7. Love this verse. Casting all your anxiety on Him. Why? Because He cares for you. He cares about what you're worrying about. And He cares the fact that you're worrying about it. Luke 18, 1. Now He was telling them, a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and not to lose heart. So if you think about it, God's command, I mean, this human condition is that we worry and that we fear. And God says that should immediately be a trigger. That at a minimum, we should have a one-to-one -one ratio between worry and prayer, right? Because as soon as we begin to worry, what happens? We're just triggered to pray. But then I think over time, it becomes greater than a one-to-one -one because we begin to pray in advance of worry. We begin to pray against fear and that prayer becomes a more prominent, a predominant aspect of our life than fear and worry does. Another verse, by the way, when I started, just started this study, I mean, we could have been here for a week looking at verses of the commands of God regarding prayer. But let's look at James 5, 13 through 16. Is anyone, and by the way, the, the, the aspect of this verse that I want you to think about is is prayer optional? In other words, can we be a follower of Christ and just not pray? Can we kind of think that, well, you know what? Some people just seem to have a natural inclination. Do you have any prayer warriors in your life? Just people that are just, they just seem to have this heart for prayer, right? We'll leave prayer to them and we'll do the other aspects in which we might be. But it, is prayer optional? in our life. And this verse kind of speaks to that. 
Is anyone among you suffering? Then he, what? Must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins to one another, and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of the righteous man can accomplish much. So the reality is, as believers in Christ, some of us may have more of an inclination or a disposition to pray, that God has done things in our hearts to move us to pray. But at the end of the day, what none of us are allowed to do is to simply say, that's not my gift. And I'm simply not going to pray because the, the word just doesn't leave us room for that, right? So if that isn't my natural disposition, if that hasn't historically been easy for me, what do I need to do? With devotion, pray. Uh-oh, I must have done something wrong. This is your commercial break if uh, you want to take a sip of your coffee or your water. Am I supposed to keep preaching or? Ladies and gentlemen, this is Sam. And uh, Sam helps with the, uh, the equipment here at uh, Dini Community Church. But the reality is that, that Scripture really doesn't give us this option. And that I need to be steadfast in my prayer, even if it's hard. And think of this. What would I miss out on? What would I miss out on by not talking to my God, by not calling upon His grace and His power? Uh-oh. <laughs> this is awesome. <laughs> All right. Let's look at another one. And let's, when we look at Christ, and, and really if you study the Gospels, then you see all the different aspects in which Jesus taught on prayer, right? So who, who is Jesus? Well, he's only God in the flesh, right? That he's an exact, exact representation of the nature of God. So really what he says about prayer, what he teaches about prayer, is, is probably something we should, we should take to heart. And look at Matthew 5, 6, 5 through 13. I want to read this. When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners, so that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, uh, but when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then in this way, Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
So if you notice in those verses three times, he says, when you are praying. So what is Christ assuming? The assumption is, is that his followers will be in prayer. And thus he needs to instruct them very carefully on if, and not if, when they're in prayer, how are they to pray? And he gives a couple of analogies. And then he says, he gives very distinct instruction that we're to pray relationally, our Father, reverently, submissively, dependently, confessionally, and forgivingly. So Christ gave very detailed instruction because this isn't something that is optional, that we are commanded to pray. So scripture is exceedingly clear. And again, if you ever wanted to do a word study on prayer in the Old Testament, a word study on prayer in the New Testament, you'll simply see that we are commanded to it. And 1 John told us that to love him is to obey him. To follow him is to obey him. So the first reason we pray is that we're commanded to. But the next reason we pray is that simply stated, God works through prayer. Amen? Does he have to? So if you go back to Genesis, how, how did God create the heavens and the earth? How did God create life? He simply spoke it into existence, right? So God is certainly able to do anything He wants in whatever method that He wants. But for some reason, God wants to use us and wants to use our prayers in the process of Him doing, him doing His great redemptive work. Is that exciting? Is that inspiring? Look at James. Or, well, let's read the verses here in 2 Chronicles 7.14. And my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. If my people will pray, then I will heal. Right, That God is saying, if my people will do this action, if they'll be obedient in this, then I will move in a way that I would not have otherwise. Philippians 1, 18 and 19. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance. What are those next three words? Through your prayers. That the prayers of the saints, the prayers of the early church, that he's confident that through their prayers, God is going to bring deliverance to him and the provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ and James 4 2 I and 3 you do not have because you do not ask you ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives though that so that you may spend it on your pleasures so if you'll just kind of stop and, and read that verse again and focus focus on what 4 2 is saying you do not have because you do not ask. Is that a profound concept? Is that a sobering concept? That God may... Now, certainly our prayers don't thwart, right, the, uh, the desires of God, the plans of God, but God has chosen to use our prayers in ways to act in our lives, and it says sometimes we simply receive not because we ask not. Sometimes it says that we receive not because we ask, but we ask with wrong motives. And so there is this participation that we get in the gospel effort, in this great redemptive work, right? That is unbelievably exciting, but if we don't 
participate, then God handles things differently. 1 John 5, 14 and 15. This is the confidence which we have before Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we have asked of Him. And John 15, 7, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Are those amazing promises of God? So let's, let's bring it home. Let's, let's bring it to Dina Community Church. So we're nine months into a church plant, and this church has a very specific charter that we want to reach this community with the love of Christ so that ultimately it results in redemption, salvation, and changed lives. Amen? That's, that's, that's exactly what God has, has called us to do. Do we believe that if we're a praying church, that God will operate through Dina differently than if we are a non-praying church? Do we believe that? Is that going to change God's designs and desires for what He's going to do in the Dini community? No, ultimately God will accomplish what He wants to accomplish. But our role and our participation in this effort, if we are a prayerful church versus a non-prayerful church, is distinctly different. And amen, which, which do we want to be? Don't we want to be passionately and distinctly and directly engaged in what God is doing in this neighborhood? And that means that we're going to have to respond accordingly, that we're going to have to be prayerful. Look at 2 Chronicles 16.9. This is the last reason of why we pray, is that prayer is evidence that our heart is wholly His. It's one of the verses that, uh, that Fred read. It says, For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. So I want you to take this verse and I want you to take it literally for a moment. I want you to really believe it. That God our Father is looking throughout the earth, constantly and consistently looking for those whose heart is wholly his so that he can what? so that he can strongly support them, right? And so if you think, what is it that God is looking for? What are the characteristics of a believer, of a Christian, of a follower of Christ whose heart is wholly his? And I think there would be a lot of ways to unpack that, but don't you believe that distinctly a strong and passionate and fervent prayer life would be part of that characteristic? That there is something about our prayer life that speaks to how we perceive God and how we perceive ourselves. And that those perceptions and the behavior that follows really give an indication of where our heart is and if it is wholly God's. And I want to unpack that just a little bit. So what does a passionate and persistent prayer communicate regarding my belief about God? If you are praying... What does that say that you believe about God? That He cares for you. That He loves you. Right? That He is interested in your hurts and in your pains. 
the moment you start praying, the moment you bow your head, is the moment that you're affirming your faith and believe in that, that God has an interest in hearing me. That God loves me. Right? What else? That God is able to do something about it. Amen? That by praying, by lifting my needs and my fears and my hurts and my suffering up to God, I'm affirming that I believe that He can do something about that, that He is powerful, that He is sovereign, that there is a right theology about God the moment that I begin to pray. And that's a good thing. What does it say about Jesus? I mean, we, you know, I pray, we generally finish our prayer with in Jesus' name. Why do we do that? Because there's this affirmation that it's through Christ that I have access to the Father. That there is sufficiency in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And because of that sufficiency and because of my acceptance of him, I can approach God confidently. Is that amazing? The moment you pray, you're affirming that Jesus is who he says he is. And that's, and that's worship. What about the Spirit? That those that are prayer warriors, that they're just constantly conversant in prayer with their God, constantly communicating and lifting up their needs? It shows they're not really worried about necessarily the right way to say things, right? That they're trusting that the Spirit is interpreting. Because Scripture tells us that's exactly what He does. That even when we don't know what to say, He's groaning with words that the Lord understands. That there's this affirmation of the Spirit as a helper, Right? So our heart is right vertically when we're praying, but what does it say about ourselves? The moment that we begin to pray, the moment that I bow my head, that I bow my knees, I'm immediately proclaiming that God is greater than I. And that's a good thing. That's a really, really healthy perspective for God's people to have. It says that I want God in my life. Right? Because a lack of prayer can simply begin to look a little bit more like a cultural Christianity rather than a personal Christianity. But when I pray, I'm saying, God, I, I want you. I want you active in my life. I want you involved in my life. It says that I need God. I'm insufficient in and of myself. I, I can't handle it. I need you. And it says that I trust you. I'm not taking these requests to, you think back to the Old Testament, that just kind of throw your prayer out to one of a number of gods, hoping that one of them might be real and listening at the time, might care enough. But that's not us. When we pray, we're trusting one God and the only God. So do you think God our Father is pleased with the theology when we pray? Amen. Because as a father, think of this again for those of you that are parents. How much do you appreciate it when your kids affirm that they need you? That they want you in their life? That they can't always handle everything on their, on their own? You know, I've got kids now that have kind of, you know, she's off, she's married. But I honestly, I, I kind of love it when she calls and she has a question for old dad. Right? It just warms my heart because I love the fact that I can help her. That there's a need there. And that's our Heavenly Father. 
So if God is continually searching the earth for the hearts of those who are wholly His, that He may strongly support them, is there really a greater evidence that my heart is wholly His than I have a fervent and frequent prayer life? And if I can, in just a moment of conviction and reflection, think about your current prayer life. And what does your current prayer life say about your theology and what you really believe? Is your orthopraxy the same as your orthodoxy? Because if we're not practicing it, sometimes that can mean there's a challenge around, are we really believing it? Is my desire for him to be active in my life that I trust him and I need him? And that's what God desires. So I want to take you now into a little bit of my journey. Amen, is it clear that God has commanded us to pray? That he has clearly made, made, made it clear in scripture that he works through prayer. He has chosen to engage us in this grand redemptive work and that there's something about our hearts that are right when we're a prayerful people. So it is clear that we're to pray, but why don't we sometimes? And, and this is, there are lots of reasons. And as you reflect and as you pray on this in your own heart, which I would encourage you to do, it's probably going to be more than just the three that we're going to focus on. But this is where God really brought me in my heart on why there's a disconnect between my belief about prayer and my practice in it sometimes. Skepticism, selfishness, and self-sufficiency. So let's kind of take them one at a time. Skepticism, do I really believe that God works through prayer? Now, if you're sitting here this morning, we know the church answer to this question, don't we? I mean, if you're ever asked in Sunday school class, do you believe in the power of prayer? If we were sleeping, we would say Jesus, right? Because that's the old joke about Sunday school. But we're all going to affirm, I, I absolutely believe in, in the power of prayer. But I do want to ask, if we really believe in the power of prayer, that God is listening, that through Christ I can approach Him, that the Spirit is interpreting for me, that God works and acts through prayer, how could there be anything in my life that I'm not prayerful about? And sometimes the reason that skepticism can be there in our heart is that in our past we've prayed for things and God didn't answer them in the way or the timing in which we wanted Him. And so I think we need to look at that. What do you do with the disappointment we sometimes feel when we pray earnestly for something and it doesn't happen? Am I the only one? Has anybody ever experienced this? That you approached God with something that was deeply, deeply weighing on your heart and you quite literally cried out to Him for a very particular outcome and that's just not what happened. And that's hard. And if we're honest, the fact that God, it's not a lever that we know exactly if I pull the lever, then I get out of God exactly what I wanted and asked for. If it doesn't work that way, then that can manifest itself in me doubting whether prayer really works. Am I the only one that struggle with that? So what do you do? What do you do with past pain and disappointment? What do you do with 
Every person in here, whether you've shared it or not, you have something profoundly difficult going on in your life right now. And there is something that you're asking God for, that you're crying out to God for. And I don't know whether you feel that God is present in that, whether you feel that he's speaking to that, whether he's moving in the way or in the timing that you want him to, but you may be dealing with this disappointment right here as you sit here this morning. And that's hard. So what do we do? And I think we look to the example of those that we find in Scripture. And the first is you look at Jesus in the garden in Mark 14, 34 through 36. I mean, again, this is, this is God's Son. This is God's Son who has had eternal fellowship with the Father and has never known shame. And now he's about to be broken fellowship with the Father to take on the shame of the world that he doesn't deserve. And he's very much human, which means all the things that we would fear about pain and suffering and death, he fears about pain and suffering and death. And he's in the garden, and he's doing exactly what we would do. He's crying out, could this pass? Is there any other way? Does this have to happen? which is how oftentimes we feel about the suffering and the struggles in our life. But then Jesus affirms something. He says, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch. And he went a little beyond them and fell to the ground and began to pray that if it were possible, the house might, uh, that, that might pass by him. And he was saying, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will but what you will. That at the end of the day, we pray with this submissive heart. We have to. Because at the end of the day, it's by faith that we pray. Right? What about Paul and his thorn in the flesh? Bo Haskins taught on this this past Thursday night that some sort of physical malady, we don't know exactly what it is, but something was tormenting is the term. Tormenting Paul. And he implored God three times that God would take it away. And God said, no, my grace is sufficient, for you are made strong in weakness. So Paul then says, then I affirm, and I'll simply be content with distresses and weaknesses and pains. How do you do that? Faith, trust, it's the only way you can do. What about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? We know the story that ultimately everyone is going to bow down to the idol, and if they don't, they'll be burned in the furnace. And these three followers of God simply would not and could not do that. And so when they're right in front of the furnace door, what did they say? Great, great proclamation of faith because they said, my God is fully able to save me, and I believe he will, but what? Even if he doesn't, I will not bow down to your eyes. And I think that teaches us a lot about the way that we approach God with our hurts. And with our pains and our, our, our struggles and our suffering is we say, God, you know my heart and you know my pain. And you know how badly I want this to change or I want it to turn out differently, whatever it may be. But God, it is an act of faith. It is a submission to say that I realize that you are greater than I. That your will is better than mine. That I don't know everything. I don't know how you're ultimately going to work this for your good and your glory and my good. And so I submit this request to you. And I take that disappointment and I take that hurt and I put it at the foot of the cross. 
Because if you're not careful, that disappointment can feed that skepticism. That when something's going on in your life, you would say that you really believe that God works through prayers, but sometimes we don't act that way because our heart is hurt, right? What about selfishness? This one was honestly incredibly convicting. And it's the idea that, do I really desire what God desires as much as he desires it for me? So let me give you an example in my life, and I'm going to give you a positive example, and I'm going to give you a negative example. So we all, right, the sanctification process, I mean, we know that we are justified once and instantaneously competing. We will one day be glorified, but this sanctification process is hard, right? And there is this gradual process of God making me Christ-like and my participation in it, my buffeting my body, my taking every thought captive, right? But sin is hard. And we all have aspects of sin that are just hard. One of the things that God has done, and I, let me say this, I have not arrived, okay? Put that on, on radio, on audio. I have not arrived in this area by any stretch. But I am so thankful that in the particular area of lust, God has grabbed hold of my heart in the last few years about lust. Because I've seen it destroy men. And I've seen it destroy marriages. And I've seen it destroy families. And I've seen it take teenagers and take them down dark roads. And it is doing tragic things in our country. And it is typically a besetting sin, typically of men. This is something we don't know what he has to teach us to struggle with lust. It's just a problem. And for years I would have said, I hate lust, I hate sin, but I didn't really, I didn't hate it like God hates it. God is doing something in my heart. That You know what? I want purity like he wants purity in my heart. And every day it's a struggle. But God, I sincerely want you to eradicate those thoughts and feelings in my mind and in my heart. I don't want to play with that sin anymore. I don't want that to be, have any place in my heart and in my life and in my house. I'm scared of it and I hate it. And that is a big praise that God has moved that way in my heart because that wasn't always so. Let me tell you one that really kind of makes me sad as I thought about this, this sermon. I'm not a natural evangelist. I'm an encourager. I'm a discipler. I'm a teacher. But when Christ looked at the crowds and he felt what? He felt compassion, right? I'll confess to you. I don't seem to have, ooh, I don't seem to have that same compassion for the lost. I don't seem to have that same compassion for my neighbors. And, and, and I don't know why. But this is an area that I know. I know that I'm not the evangelist that I should be. I know that my heart doesn't break for the lost. But I don't pray about it that often. Why? Because I don't seem to want it as badly as God wants it. For some reason, my heart is callous to it, and I seem to be okay with that. And I can't be okay with that. And so sometimes the reason that we don't pray as we should is we simply don't want something as bad as God wants it in our life. And so I'll ask you, is there something in your life? Is there a sin that you're toying with? Is there a struggle? Is there something that you know God wants to change in you, 
but you just haven't really put it in your heart that you want that change as much as he does. And you've got to give that to God. It's a work of the Spirit to create that desire, and, and may God do that. May God do it in me, because we're not going to reach the Inuit community if we don't look at the masses and feel compassion. And so I need God to change that in my heart, and I need him to make me want that every day. Then we look at the last one, which is self-sufficiency. Do I really understand my inadequacy and God's sufficiency? Do you ever feel that way? That, yeah, you know, I've, I've kind of, I know there's, there's something going on in my life and, and I know it kind of needs to change, but I got this, right? Let me give you an example again, positive and, and, and negative in my life. One of the areas that, and I'm going to give just again, praise God, that I just have a real clear sense of my inadequacy is, is around my parenting. That I, my boys are there in the, in the back of the room and I, I want nothing more than my boys to love Jesus and my girls to love Jesus and to follow hard after him. And I want nothing more than for them to understand how beautiful Jesus is. And nobody has to tell me to pray for that. I pray for it when I get up in the morning. I pray for it driving to work. It hits my heart a hundred times a day. And I'm just praying. Why? Because I want it so bad. And I believe that prayer works in it. And I also understand I have no ability to control that. I can't read the Ezo book. I can't read positive parenting. I can't read Keller. I can't, I, there's no formula that is going to make my, the, the heart of my children love Jesus. That's going to have to be a work of the Spirit. But you know what I am going to do? The horse is prepared for the day of battle, but victory is the Lord's. I'm going to prepare the horse for battle. And I'm going to cry out every single day that God moves in my children's hearts that they're just going to fall in love with them on their own. Right? I can't control it, but my goodness, am I going to pray for it. So God did a work in me. Right? There's this sense of inadequacy. But there are many times when I go to work, I've got a job to do and I'm accountable to that job and it's not just a job to meet the numbers, but it's a job to be a representation of salt and light in that workplace. But I don't pray for it like I should. And I think a lot of times I know that prayer works and, and, and when I'm going to work, God, I, I want to be faithful. I want to be faithful in every aspect. But honestly, as I really reflected on it, I think there's this a little bit of hint of self-sufficiency that I can just kind of handle it on my own. I don't feel as inadequate in that as I do in other areas of my life. And so when you kind of feel like you got this, guess what happens? You don't pray, right? So I'm going to try to paint for you an illustration. And this made sense in my head. This could colossally fall flat in trying to communicate it to you. But think of an open and a closed circuit, right? And I'm not an electrician and I don't pretend to be and I'm, I'm, I'm honestly not handy at all. <clears throat> but we have an invisible fence. You ever had an invisible fence for a dog? So basically, Levi Hoggard helped me install it. And, and so you take this thin cable and you bury it all around your property. It's one single continuous cable. And you bury it around whatever the size of your yard is. And then you bring each side of that into a transmitter, right? And that transmitter is going to read 
a closed loop, right? There's no break in that loop. And so when my dog has the collar on, he's supposed to get an audible, hey, you don't want to go there. And then if he just is feeling particularly um, hard-headed that day, then he's supposed to get a little bit of a shock to say, no, no, you don't want to do that, right? So that's the way it's supposed to work. <coughs> well, one day we're in the house and suddenly the transmitter is, is making a racket, right? Some, something's not op operating the way that it's supposed to. Well, I, I'm, again, I'm not handy, but I get on the phone, I call them, and they say, well, we've got to do a closed-loop test, so pull those two wires out. But I, I, I'm just honestly not very good at that kind of stuff. Consequently, in the midst of trying to figure it out myself, my, my sweet wife and I were out in the yard doing yard work, and as often is the case, I came in, she was still out there because she's much tougher than I am, and she comes in about 15 minutes later and she goes, you're not going to be pleased with me. I'm like, baby, what do you mean? She's like, come look. She takes me out there and where we were digging up, you know, um, privets, she had not only cut through the wire, but not knowing what it was, began to pull until 10, 12 feet in, she realizes, yeah, we paid to have this installed, right? <laughs> so, so now I've got a problem, right? I don't know what's going on with the transmitter, and now I obviously have, I've got an open loop, right, that it's not going to transmit. So I don't know how to figure, I, I, I Googled, you know, I went to YouTube. YouTube is like there's something to fix everything, and the first thing it said is you need a soldering iron. Okay, yeah, I don't have that. So I don't know who your bat phone is, but my bat phone is Scott Price. So I call Scott Price and I say, brother, can you come help me figure it out? He and his son come over, very gracious. Man, they've got all the tools. We solder it up. We, we put it in there. We go in. He does the closed loop test. It fails. So he says, you know what? We probably need to just go walk the line, right? So it's pretty dark at that time. So we've got iPhones and flashlights and we're walking the whole property. Sure enough, we find another breaking line, right? Gets the soldering iron fixed. It goes back in. Guess what? It's perfect, right? Because it was a closed loop not an open loop. So here's where I'm hoping the illustration fits, and let's see if I land this, because it was actually helpful to me as I began to think about it this way. Think of a closed circuit. If I believe prayer works, and I truly desire what God desires, and I understand my inadequacy that I can't do it without Him, guess what happens? I pray. When those three conditions are in place, Whatever that aspect of my life is, I am prayerful, right? It's, 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 it's a closed loop. I get it. Everything is working, right? The Spirit has made me, I mean, He's affirmed to me that prayer works, and He's affirmed to me I'm inadequate, and, and I want this thing to be changed. It's working. But what if I don't really believe prayer works? Or what if I believe prayer works, but I just don't want it as bad as God wants it? What happens? Open loop. I won't pray about it. That one condition isn't met. My heart isn't moved. I'm just not. Or what if I believe prayer works? And what if I really, really want it to change? But you know what? I think I'm pretty strong in that area of my life. What happens? Open loop. I don't pray. And so I've begun to think about things in my life. I know this is weird, but in this kind of way a little bit. And I want to just present it to you, kind of Dina Community Church. So let's think of this. We have a charter, and that is to reach the Dini community, right? God has given us a mission. And if you're visiting here this morning, this may be new to you, but if you've been here for a while, if you've chosen this as your church, we have embraced this mission, right? So, do we believe that our prayerfulness 
is really going to make a difference in how God uses Demi Community Church to reach this community. Do you really believe it? That there will be a distinctly different story told about Dini Community Church if we are prayerful versus if we are not prayerful. And if we believe that, the first condition is met, right? We believe God will work through our prayers to reach this community. But what about, what about the second condition? How badly do we really want to reach this community? And, and Let's use a very specific example. We've got an event coming up. And by the way, this is not my move. This isn't Connie telling me to get on one of the nine committees, right? That, that's not what's happening here. But this is our first big, big outreach event, right? And so how much prayer, are we, how badly do we want God to do something in that event? Right? How much do we want God to create relationships during that meeting that is going to be right here where Neighbors we've never met, right? Believers and unbelievers alike are going to be right here. And we're going to get a chance to love on them and feed them and encourage them and get to know them. How badly do I want God connections to be made that night? How badly do I want gospel conversations to take place? How badly do we want affections to be shown so that they know, you know what? There's a whole lot of lack of love in this world. But man, there seem to be some people over there they just, they just seem to love me. They don't even know me. And they love me. How badly do we want that to happen? Because that's a condition, right? And then the final condition is, do we really feel like we desperately have to have God to work in this for it to even be a success? Because if we're not careful, we have been abundantly blessed as a church. How great of a pastor is John Brown? I mean, did I tell you I love him? I mean, I mean, he is a great pastor. He knows his word. He's got a heart. I mean, I just, so sometimes we can think, well, John's such a pastor. I mean, how, how could we not succeed, right? Or, boy, you think about it, look around. Do we have a ridiculous abundance of mature believers within this church? I mean, the gifts in this church are just astounding. Do we feel pretty good in and of ourselves that we can have a gospel impact in this neighborhood? Because, well, just look around. How could we not? Boy, Katie's so good with the kids. I mean, Jesse's so good with teenagers, right? Ian's so good with young adults. I mean, just look at the program. Look at what we're doing. Of course we're going to be successful. And if we're not careful, we would never say it. But our lack of prayerfulness, our lack of urgency in prayer can be because we think God's going to do it anyway because we're that good. And that would be a tragedy. That would be a tragic story for Dania Community Church, is if we just think that we can rest on our laurels and gifts and that God's going to go and move profoundly in a revival in these neighborhoods. Because we can't do any of that. Only God can do that. And so, again, I don't know whether the open loop, closed loop kind of makes sense, but it's a way of thinking about if you're praying, if you're not praying about something, why? Which of these conditions might not be met? So let's close with this. It's just a little bit of assessment and application. Number one, just an honest question. How is your prayer life today? And if that question that I was kind of wrestling with myself, which is how healthy or unhealthy is my prayer life, how would you answer that today? 
is your heart, is your, I mean, excuse me, is your prayer life today strong evidence that your heart is wholly His? That if our God is looking throughout the earth, to and fro, searching for hearts that are wholly His that He may strongly support, is your prayer life indicative that you're one of those? That I'm one of those? That God would want to strongly support you because your prayerfulness is such an indication of what you perceive about God and Jesus and the Spirit and yourself that there's so, so much rightness about your theology and your practice of that theology that God says, I just, I want to empower that person. I want to do great things through that person. What about this? Think of something very specific in your life right now, and, and I'm just going to give you a moment. Think of something heavy on your heart. What, what's in your backpack today? What's heavy? And then with that particular need in mind, just kind of ask yourself, how prayerful and passionate and persistent am I currently in prayer on that issue? And if I'm as passionate and as persistent as I could possibly be, praise God. But if I'm not, where is the disconnect? Could it be skepticism? has seeped in my heart, and I've just kind of stopped praying. You know, I met a woman on a plane one time, and, and I've said that I'm not a very good evangelist, but God just did a more miracle in my life that day. And I really tried to strike up a conversation, and, and uh, boy, it wasn't 10 minutes in that she just said, you know what, I used to have faith. And then my husband got sick. And I prayed, and I asked that God would heal my husband. And he didn't. And I walked away. He didn't do what I asked him to do, and I walked away. That skepticism is dangerous. And how do we process the hurt and the pain from our past or even our present? We got to be careful and, and guarded on that. And then what is one aspect or truth from today's sermon that, that God would have you take time to reflect on this? Take time to think about your prayer life and, and whatever God would move in your heart, whatever's speaking to you, um, reflect on it and apply that. So, you know, the, the prayer this morning is that God would make Dunia Community Church a prayerful church. I, I firmly believe that's his desire. I firmly believe he wants to use this church to do great things for the glory of his name. And so my prayer is that we will passionately participate in it in, in all areas. So would y'all pray with me? Father God, we love you. Uh, Father, thanks for this morning. And Thanks for your word and thanks for truth. Thanks for conviction. We understand, Father, that your word commands that we pray. Father, it's not optional. Father, you have chosen to work through prayer and we want to participate in it. And our prayerfulness is an indication, Father, of our heart oftentimes. But Lord, we know sometimes we struggle with prayer. This sermon is my heart. Father, it's my areas where I don't pray as I should and why. Uh, but Lord, and I know you'll continue to show me where my gaps are. And uh, Father, I pray that you would. I pray that you would across all members of Dunia. Father, that we would address those gaps and be a prayerful people. We love you, Lord. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.